0: Certainly have fears that there is a serial killer at loose in Perth.
1: Sarah Spears, Jane Rimmer, Kira Glennon, and every time you saw a young girl walking by, you think, "Oh God, is she going to be the next victim?"
2: Now, one man stands accused. If police are right and Edwards is the Claremont serial killer, he's been hiding in plain sight for twenty years.
0: It was back in the nineteen nineties when the bodies of Jane Rimmer and Kira Glennon were discovered. It's now been revealed there was no police protocol for wearing protective clothing at crime scenes. Welcome to Day 22 of Claremont in Conversation. I'm Natalie Bongiolo in the studio with Alison Phan and Tim Clark. And I must admit, I
1: actually found this quite surprising today, this testimony. It was. It did come as a big surprise because up until today, uh, the police have been very, very careful about um, how they described What they did to preserve the crime scenes, how mindful they were where they walked, didn't touch the bodies and were wearing protective clothing and gloves. But today we heard a different story that the protective clothing that they were wearing was to protect them personally from from dirt and that and not really because of cross contamination or DNA, which they had never heard of back in 1996 or knew little about that in 1996 and 1997.
2: Yeah, it was surprising, wasn't it? And um, I've s- I said all week how impressive Mr. Hemlar's evidence has been, yes. how precise <laughs> he's been, how forensic he's been. And uh, I mean, to be fair, he was pretty precise when he was asked today, and he just and he. And he basically said, "No, we would we wouldn't wear gloves. Um, as a matter of course, we wouldn't put booties on our feet over our shoes. As a matter of course, we'd have he had the same pair of boots that he wore to uh, his crime scene boots. So you know, he didn't get uh, whatever sort of uh, several
1: crime scene, yeah, <laughs> probably, um, yeah, whatever sort of matter mm. that
2: he might be dealing with on his clothes. Um, they did wear overalls, um, and there were gloves uh, as as a practice. He said, when you're actually." touching, deceased material matter. Um, but, but, Tim, no, the big ha-
1: thing, the big thing y- was the bare hands, yeah, wasn't it? well, yes. that's right, mm-hmm. yeah,
2: no hairnets or anything like that. So you've probably got a, we've all got an image, I suppose, of sort of forensic uh, officers covered head to toe, sort of hazmat suits and no bare flesh showing, but um, back in 96, 97, this, this wasn't the case, apparently. And because we couldn't see the video... Um, this all sort of came as a bit of a surprise. If we'd been able to see the video, obviously, we would have probably picked it up earlier. But as this was being sort of teased out of, by, of, by Paul Jovic today, um, the, the sort of um, bits that we couldn't see and, and um, weren't pointed out by the prosecution did come to the fore.
1: Well, today's trial actually opened with the judge asking the question himself. Mm. Um, Justice Stephen Hall said to Robert Himmler, did you wear gloves at all times and that's when he said no the protocols back then there were no written regulations or rules uh, that the gloves weren't worn all of the time and that was followed up by Paul Jovich later on when he said there is a photograph of you um, or recording of you putting some of the foliage into a brown or paper bag Um, and it didn't all go in so he used his hands to push the rest of it into the bag so they could seal it so that was quite revealing and does he describe that? That's what happened. Yes, it wasn't. He said there were no. They were doing what they thought was right. They had no. Nobody knew anything about DNA back then. Uh, technology was in its infancy as far as crime scenes and cross contamination went. They there was nothing in writing. They. Th- use their common sense. He said we were mindful about where we walked and we certainly didn't touch the bodies but that was mainly following probably the forensic pathologists rules and and regulations don't touch, don't contaminate but they had nothing in writing and um, they just did what they thought was best at the time.
2: Yeah and it was more to protect themselves than to Protect the scene. It, yes. it appeared from from the evidence today that their priority was to not to get themselves dirty or possibly infected with if they were dealing with that sort of um, noxious material, uh, rather than um, rather than protect uh, protect the scene itself.
1: And that sounds right because, of course, AIDS was a big thing still mm-hmm. coming at that mm-hmm. time. Yeah, with the blood, well, even. even blood rule now sent off, so they would have been protecting themselves from anything like that, not thinking of um, cross contamination or DNA. Mm-hmm. And like you said, we sort of have this image of pure and sterile,
0: and and sort of in more recent years and in more recent decade, you know, we watch these crime shows and we watch Bones and and CSI, and this is what we expect. But we are talking 23 twenty three years. years ago.
2: Yeah, which is a lifetime in, in scientific terms, obviously, and um, several several generations on. And as as Brendan was saying yesterday uh, on the podcasts. I mean it would be light years away from from now um from what they did then and and uh, Mr. Hemlar today was was basically quite candid when he was said you know you wouldn't do that today would you and he said, and he said no definitely not so so yeah interesting um, little tidbits and um, no doubt more to come because there's more many many more forensic uh, officers and evidence to come next week.
1: Well, of course, this has been a very very big part of the trial. The whole collecting of the fibres, how the fibres got onto the body, and um, of course, the prosecution says, well, those certain fibres. Point two, Bradley Robert Edwards um, but even the way they bagged the evidence and there were several labels and several handwriting and they couldn't remember who actually labelled it and numbered it and a lot of discrepancies there with times but it just was a different uh, I guess mindset yeah. in um, dealing with evidence and not realising the the importance and significance years on. Well, when we
0: spoke to Brendan Chapman yesterday, who is a forensic expert here in Western Australia, and and he explained that when they'd put an item into a bag, the bag would be folded over and then
1: it would have a tamper tape. Yes. Um, we talked about that today, the tamper evidence tape, that once that was on and it was taken off, you could tell when it was open. But that didn't exist back in 1996 or 1997. In fact, when you think back, you can't even think when computers did start to overtake your life and, and he was saying too everything was handwritten and he was comparing handwritten notes at the scene then type later on and they were trying some of those there were discrepancies in those as well um, but you, it's hard to find, think back of when the computers did take over and com- everything was computerised
2: Yeah there was even many mentions of dot matrix printouts Mm. which some of our younger listeners probably won't know what the hell I'm talking about (laughs) but uh, um, long before digital recordings obviously I mean there was video recording but done on a VHS tape once again probably in a different era and uh, I I remember VHS and Ali... Probably was.
1: Thank you. I'm sure I, do. Yes. I remember <laughs> Film and I remember Sony. Yes, all of that. Thank you, Tim.
2: <laughs> um, but yeah, I was just just light years away from what you would expect, um, and particularly at such a such a crucial crime scene for what seems now to be such sort of basic uh, things that, that weren't being done
1: What were some of the discrepancies in the recording of the exhibits and what have you? Again from just so many people handling various things and things were written in texter then there was some there was a label then the only way that um, uh, Robert Himmler said today that he could realise that one was at a later one because it was a particular barcode mm. that was used that didn't come in until down the track mm. so they're up to and he couldn't even recognise the writing. There's so many people handled the evidence and open and closed that bag, which I'm sure the defence is going to hone in on.
2: Yeah. So, yeah. so particular things that were pointed out today, there's a hair sample that was taken from Kira at the scene. Um, they basically just snipped a, a lock of her hair um, and secured it in a, a, a yellow pot, um, which is going to be... Be very crucial because prosecutors say that when that hair sample was tested more than twenty years later. Um, rereading the transcript today in opening, Miss Barbara Gallo said that piece of hair was placed in this yellow pot, marked as an evidence, IH 17, and then sat on a shelf for twenty-one years and wasn't retested until basically after Mr. Edwards was arrested. And then two two of these blue, crucial blue fibres were found in that hair sample. Um, but when the video recording was being taken of the scene by Mr Tarachi who we dis- discussed earlier in the week that was not on the video recording um, and we don't know why whether that, that was one of the gaps in the recording that we discussed earlier or whether he was just happened to be filming something else at that time and once again as was discussed earlier um, he dis- he explained that it wasn't Common practice or standard practice for every piece of evidence taken at the scene to be filmed, and he wouldn't say, "Can I get that on film?" Or the forensic officers wouldn't say, "We are now about to. Can you film this?" Um, and uh, as I say, R H seventeen is going to become very crucial because two of these blue fibres were, were, were reportedly um, or allegedly in there. Um, there was the the, the tamper tape that we've discussed. So on that little pot. Um, Rh seventeen, which we saw a picture of in court today, there was actual tape on top, and as Ali mentioned, there was also a barcode on there. But that, those, both those procedures weren't taken, weren't, didn't start for many, many years after ninety seven. So that pot has, has obviously been touched and 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 and
1: uh, handled, uh, handled hand
2: because the 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 tape was on there, which wasn't on there at the t- time contemporaneously, mm-hmm. and the barcode. So I mean that'll probably uh re as a, as an issue um and yeah and as i say and then and then the gloves as well so and there's little discrepancies in in um, labeling of um uh, e- exhibits in actually in the complete system which was called pts it was a property tracking system and the process was you'd get a piece of evidence you'd label it and then you'd go back to the office and you'd input it into the police computer but once again, Mr Hemelar was very candid today and says, well, mm. that 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 um, software was a was a piece of crap, basically, because mm. it wouldn't let you um, input your own description. It was just a drop down menu and you had to choose generated um, certain numbers, subject yeah. matters wow. or whatever. And and then uh, it was pointed out that one of the hairbrushes that was taken from Jane's flat had had a different um, a PTS number from one printout to the other. So. It's, it's what we discussed a couple of weeks ago about when Mr. Jovich, in his opening, said, well, the, defense, uh, the prosecution want to paint this perfectly hermetically sealed picture of everything just flowing smoothly and all these samples went here, there and everywhere, but they were never, and he said, there's rough edges here there's that's that's a picture but we say that's not the full picture and though and a few of those missing pieces um started to emerge this week particularly later in the week when Mr yovich got to his feet and did his cross-examination
0: because uh, at the end of the day what you're talking about is really crucial material this is what the prosecution's mm. case hinges on yep. absolutely uh, could mm. this be their undoing
1: well, well that's So we're not going
0: to.
2: Well, <laughs> but that's what Mr. Jovic is yeah. uh, pointed to on day two or three of the he trial. Did. He did,
1: um, mm.
2: and and that's what he be he, he will continue to point to because it, it's not a case of him proving the prosecution wrong. It's reasonable doubt, yeah. and the
1: crucial reasonable one, doubt yeah. is
2: a lot lower bar to reach than um, than the prosecution's got to reach, which is beyond reasonable doubt. Yes, yes. Um, and so if he can keep just bringing up these little issues and pile them on top of each other and then way down the track in a few months when he gets up and does his closing argument he will have them all stacked and will remind the judge of them all um and he will hope that once that you know the the inbox and the outbox is stacked up that that he's done enough to create that reasonable doubt
0: was um Robert Hemler's sort of memory being tested today was his ability to recall these events from, you know, decades ago
1: under scrutiny. Yes, it was, but he was a very, I thought, credible witness and he was quite open when he couldn't remember exact things. He said, there are things that you'll never forget, but you're asking me minute details about who was there and what was written. No, he was quite candid and... um, was saying to the defence lawyer no, I didn't remember that And because sometimes there were running sheets where his writing was on and then the next one was writing he couldn't recognise he thought it might have been one of the two of his colleagues but he wasn't prepared to say that Definitively, um, so he was. I thought a very, very honest and candid um, witness.
2: Yeah, I mean, some of his recall was remarkable. Uh, uh, certainly about which personnel and which officers were there and their names and, and what their jobs were and and what they did. And of course, he had the video that was that, that in in particularly the Keir Glennon video that was showed in full to him. So that uh, and the proofing process before trial. It's it's not a case of just a person turning up with with no preparation. Or or, or or aid memoirs. I mean, he, you know, he would have seen his statements and he would have seen the running sheets and he, and he told the court that he had. So And trials like this, or any trial, they don't really want it to be a memory test. They don't want a, a, a criminal prosecution to uh, you know, stand or fall on someone being able to remember everything from 25 years ago because that wouldn't be fair. But
1: He was shown his statements. He's, he's given about five or six. They said mm. the first statements were a couple of years after the actual murders, mm. and the most recent was all well, was 2016, and then probably before he came on, he would have had a probably a look at things. But um, he he was very honest in in everything that he didn't know and mm. what had been done, and. He said, especially about the protocol back then, it just wasn't written in. They used their common sense, but he said there were no written rules. Probably. And when it was
0: revealed today that, you know, there was no strict rules for wearing gloves or popping booties on and these kinds of things, was there any noticeable reactions
1: in the courtroom, audible? or visible? Well, not really. No, no, no not really. And but not only not no strict rules, there were no rules. Um, yeah. The bare hands one was a bit of a shock to me when they said, oh, he just used his hands to push the evidence back into the bag yeah um no no,
2: there wasn't any particular you know intake of breath but um i wouldn't be surprised if there was a couple of raised eyebrows on 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 some tables somewhere um whether in in court or or um or outside and i'll be i'll be very interested to see what brendan's got to say about it um when he when he joins us again in in terms of those protocols then now and and i mean and it was obviously very fluid because he did say that that the, the booties for instance by the time so between jane's body being discovered and kira that had actually come in and they were yeah. they were more likely to wear the booties in even in that eight months they were obviously all, always sort of trying to improve their process the
1: awareness of technology is it was marginally better mm. from 1996 to 1997 mm. As we know, though,
0: as you've mentioned from all the evidence that's been um, presented so far by the witnesses, nobody has admitted to actually touching the bodies, have they? Um, no one that shouldn't
2: have. No one that shouldn't. No. Um, particu- I mean, and, I mean we we're discussing it after court today. There, 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 there seem to be a very sort of strong party line or a sort of strong consistency of all the detectives and police, senior police that were there. They all, even without prompting, Mm. Um, said we didn't go near the body, there was no reason to, and we've no reason to uh, to, to think that they were making that up or, 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 or no. el- you know exaggerating or elaborating on that.
1: Well, uh, yeah, but they, they did were all know about fingerprinting yes, and stuff exactly. like yeah, they, that, so they, they knew were, not to touch anything. They were
2: all very strong on that, and there wasn't really any pushback from the defence on mm-hmm. that. Um, but those that were... You know, tasked to to uh, touch the body, they they were there, and and um, and certainly they will. Um, well, at least two more uh, have we we know of um, of that forensic team will be some of the very early witnesses next week, and so I'm sure they'll be asked um, very similar things.
1: Tim, there was one point that I thought was quite interesting with um, the late Karen uh, Magolius, mm. the, uh, when they were asked about the ground sheet. That they used to try to roll the body on, and nobody had one. And they said, "In current, apparently said oh, well, I've got one in my car,' but there was they didn't follow up on that ground sheet, which they used to uh, transfer the body into the body mm. bag, and that was sort of." Uh, the defence brought that up. It's yeah, that was did, a little that, that was
2: a little breadcrumb that did yeah. pique my interest as well yes, because, because there was very um, there was no pointed was questioning about
1: had it been used before. Well, or certainly be, body yeah. bags
2: were mm. that they, they were supposed to be pristine and they were one, I mean, use, one only, use only. Yeah. They were sealed when they got to the crime scene and then you unsealed them there and then you used them again but, but the, the fact sheet. that she knew she had this sheet in her car now whether she just put it in there as a as a way
1: it was as a said, process yeah. so but it was a, little, it was a little
2: it was a little breadcrumb that 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 might might uh, turn into a life
0: <laughs> yeah and as we mentioned yesterday she won't be called to give evidence because sadly passed. she passed mm. away mm. back yeah. in 2010. Yeah, she did she died in
2: yes. two thousand and ten um, yeah and uh, I mean she was hugely uh, respected throughout her career I, I saw her give evidence many yes, times absolutely. as you did, yes, and, I um, did yes, and she was um she was very um she was a bit of a pioneer as yes. as, as uh, in terms of forensic pathology being the lead forensic pathologist as a woman at that time but she was also One of the only forensic pathologists in Australia that also had a law degree. She was actually legally trained and qualified as well as in pathology. So it would be interesting to see how um, her actions are actually explored. Now she's no longer with us. Mm. I think I remember there will be evidence called that an expert, could even be Clive Cook, I'm not sure, who's one of the other pathologists, will sort of... Go through her actions, particularly during the post mortem, and sort of review them. Well, he was there. He was the spot.
1: Yeah, he was there.
2: Um, so that'll be obviously during the post mortem, that'll be one way that they could do it because it was all filmed.
0: Well, we've got some um, listener questions pertaining specifically to, to DNA. So, Teresa from the Gold Coast has asked when the police obtained the DNA from Br- Bradley Edwards, what made them decide to follow him in particular? I understand that they had old DNA from the Karakata Cemetery and from under Kira Glennon's fingernails, but what made them decide to track Bradley Edwards?
2: Um, yeah, well, I, I think we've touched on this in previous podcasts, but we can go through it again qu- uh, quickly. Um, so the kimono um, that we've discussed, which was the kimono that was left behind at the Huntingdale scene, that had been in storage for, for many, many years. Um, and a cold case detective put, uh, just happened to pull that box in, in 2016, um, got the kimono out, um, tested it, and that DNA, matched the dna under kira's fingernails and also uh, from the karakata victim but they still had didn't have a source of that dna so then they went back um in the huntingdale um area um, retraced their steps prior to that break-in there were um other break-ins and and strange uh, sort of cr- creeping stalking incidents where underwear was being taken off um uh, washing lines and from actually inside houses in the weeks leading up to the Huntingdale break-in um, during one of those some fingerprints were found um, so the detect the cold case detectives then uh, who were on high alert because they knew this was linked to Claremont and Macro tested those fingerprints um, and then ran through the national database that database popped up Bradley Edwards' name, because of his involvement in the Hollywood Hospital crime in 1990, and that that was when they had that name. It was then that they um, threw all their resources to um, tracking and uh, surveilling Mr. Edwards, and it was during one of those surveillings that he went to the cinema with his daughter. Um, and discarded a Sprite bottle. Um, as we all know, we all throw our rubbish very dutifully into the bins when we've been to the movies. This is what he did. Police swooped on that t- Sprite bottle, ran a DNA test on that, and that came back as a match to all those three um uh, samples and so that was basically when Mr. Edwards was arrested. And a, a better, what they call a buckle swab, which is the swab from inside of the mouth, was then taken um, during Mr. Edwards's interview. That came back positive, and he was basically charged on that basis with Jane and Kira's murder. So, quite a circuitous route. Um, which will be explored uh, as we go along in the trial because I, we understand the arrest process is not objected to by the defence, but it will have to be covered off by the prosecution.
1: And of course, he's pleaded guilty to those rape charges. Correct. Mm. Absolutely,
2: yes. Mm. And he has, as I said, he's pleaded guilty to the Huntingdale break in, so there's no doubt that it was him. Mm-hmm. And he's pleaded guilty to the Karakata rape, so there's no doubt that it was him there. Um, but the $64 million question will be. And that sample from Karakata, which was kept in the Path West laboratory, um, did that at any time come into contact with the DNA sample under um, Kira's fingernails? Because that's what the defence say that there was some likelihood of cross contamination.
0: Yeah, I mean it's quite an extraordinary um, chain that begins with this kimono. Did you say we know why the kimono was brought out? It
2: was just the uh, so. Uh, W.A. Western Australia has a very active cold case um, unit. um, Has been, have had for many, many years. Um, and they were just going, they were sort of ticking off all the crimes that had not been solved over the years. So it wasn't any particular macro or Claremont um, investigation that, that, that took that box. It was a cold case unit that, that took that box out. Um, and But that started the chain of events that's, that's led us here three years later.
1: The fingerprints on, on a door as he left behind mm. way back then. Yep. Yeah. And of course the Hollywood attack didn't come under notice because it wasn't a sex, sexually... Um, Yes. charge
0: uh, we have another question from Natalie who asks just wondering whether any of Jane's clothes were recovered from the scene or anywhere else for that matter and also whether there was any traces
1: of blood or DNA recovered from the knife found well the knife was um they've said there's been no forensic
2: no that's um, that's right so it's been said to to in court the there's no yeah. there's no nothing there significant forensic material on that knife um, so we don't really know how long it was there we don't know how how much how much of the elements it was exposed to um, and there's certainly no positive link um, between um, either crime but it was given that it was at a, a jane's crime scene particularly uh, jane no blood no dna um no um, nothing of it, any import at all forensically um, but the prosecution obviously point to the to the massive coincidence that uh, a telstra issue knife that was very similar exactly in fact identical to ones that mr edwards ha- had and did still have and um, was found at that scene
1: as for the clothing we haven't heard no anything. there's no
2: there's, there's no suggestion so Jane was Jane's body w- was naked, and we've mm. heard some d- detail about this that this week, um, but none of her clothes have, have ever been uh, ever been discovered, as far as we know.
1: Only her watch.
2: Yep. Mm.
0: And uh, still along those same lines, from Sue Allen, has it come out during the trial as to the actual cause of death of both Jane and Kira? Well, um yes.
1: Not
2: well. Uh, that's a good question, actually, because. Uh, Yes and no I suppose is the answer.
1: They talked about the neck. Yes, so there was Wounds. significant
2: what they called um defects to to the neck and face of of both Jane and Kira. Um, and obviously significant blood loss particularly in Kira's case with, with her t-shirt that she was wearing was very heav- heavily blood stained and there was blood stain um, underneath her body when it was removed, which suggests that she she did bleed out at the scene, which would again suggest that she was she was attacked there. Um, So significant wounds, which the prosecution say are similar in style, um, sort of jagged cuts to the back and side of the neck and face. Um, but a hundred percent, we we haven't seen a, a, a document that says cause of death or anything like that. But um, um, I mean, you know, you, you can surmise when when the wounds are that significant that they were noticeable weeks later after the bodies were dumped and weeks on discovery. Um, that would that would have been a, a significant um, significant. Um, issue. Um, Tim, were both
1: it, bodies face down? They were. Yeah. So the the cuts were at the back of the neck. You're saying?
2: Yes, side to side in the back mm, of the neck. Because at
1: one stage, I think they were arguing about whether it could have been done by birds or animal activity. But so they were face both face down. They were both mm. face
2: down, which uh, and that will become a mm. significant issue quite soon, actually, in terms of the similarities of the scene, because we've we've gone through the details of the scene or nearly the scenes this week and and will next week. But then. I'm sure the prosecution will come to the fact that they were both face down, they were both in remote bush areas, uh, equidistant north and south of Perth, um, and also covered with local vegetation taken mm. from the scene.
1: So, And the post-mortem autopsies that's will right. reveal that. Yeah. Mm. So that's still to come.
0: It is. Have you been given an indication of who will take the stand next week? Um,
2: so there's two, two more uh, t- there's two forensic mm. uh, w- uh, witnesses that we definitely know. Um, a d- a detective Mott um, and a detective... They're uh, not detectives, uh, they're sergeants. There's another two more. Yeah, yeah. so two Mott more. and Harbridge, who were two of the team that um, worked at the crime scenes with, with Rob Hamler. Hum- but we think the first witness next week is going to be a Dr Barnard. She was the doctor who was in the um, sex assault Squad or sex assault um, unit at the time who um, treated the victim at Karakata after her um, attack and and then she was obviously um, dealt with by police um, and that will be significant because. <clears throat> Um, obviously after a sex attack there are sort of intimate swabs and things taken and uh, Dr Barnard would have been the person who took those swabs um, and, uh, and, and they also link to, uh, to Mr yeah. Edwards so um, so that's how we'll start the week but um, um, again much of it we, we believe and for the, bo- post the rest of the month will be um, forensics um, crime scene and probably more I- into post-mortem um, evidence next week
0: and how do the key players in the courtroom appear to be
1: holding up at this stage? Well, you wouldn't know from Bradley Robert Edwards because his expressions and stance doesn't change at all. I did notice today he nodded to somebody in the gallery. That was his only sort of acknowledgement. Um, Dennis Glennon, Kira's father, has been there every day. Mm-hmm. Um, Jane Rimmer's sister comes in every now and then.
2: Yeah, I think Lee was there today.
1: Today, um, And, um, Yeah. yeah. But, but again, it's a defence and
0: prosecution. Gana. Are they? Do they look battle weary at any stage? <laughs> no.
1: Or well, we can't see because we've got the screen yeah, across well, the, yeah, the that, main that, players. That's true. Uh, that big screen across, and um, of course, we've got to be careful about uh, reporting what we hear. As the judges said, you probably covered this yesterday. That um, just because we can hear the audio, it does not. We can't presume it's relating to something that we can't see, mm. and we've already been um, sort of. I think scalded a little bit by the judge by saying that one media outlet had, had said somebody hey Stevie wearing gloves and it was presumed it was when they were carrying the body, but no, it's probably as he's getting out the car. So we can't sort of just make statements like that uh, that are erroneous.
2: Yeah, um, yeah. The uh, the lawyers are very they're very stoic. They don't really show much emotion in court. The odd light moment, the odd chuckle to themselves and with each other. But um, as we've said many times, they're very very experienced barristers. Both Miss Barbara Gallo and Miss Mosta Jovic, um, they're match fit, and uh, they've they know they've they've they're probably only uh, well probably halfway through the first quarter in terms of uh, the trial length. So, We're also uh,
1: aware of Dennis Glennon sitting there too in the front row, listening yeah. to this harrowing stuff about his daughter. Um, very very aware of that. Yeah, hey? you can't no, help but feel no, for him. No.
0: Well, thank you both for your time in court this week. Um, Claremont podcast at wanews.com.au is where you can contact all of us um, individually or all together. Uh, for a full wrap of this week's evidence, you can grab the West Australian newspaper or head to the west.com.au where you'll also find any of the exhibits that have been released by Justice Hall this week. Thanks for your company over the past week. We'll be back on Monday for day 23 of Claremont in Conversation. Have a great weekend all.
1: This podcast was hosted by Natalie Bongiolo, produced by Kate Ryan and Alicia Preedy, and recorded in the
2: studios of Seven West Media. Audio files were provided from the archives of the Seven Network and the West Australian. Sign up for daily emails and all the latest on the Claremont Trial at theWest.com.au.
1: Enjoying this podcast? If the story behind the headline matters to you, then you can count on thewest.com.au to deliver. For more on Claremont The Trial, follow the live blog, watch the nightly news updates, and sign up for daily email updates at thewest.com.au. Subscribe now for just a dollar a day at thewest.com.au.